Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of The Cognitive Canine, and this is called Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. Hey everybody, I just wanted to take a minute before your podcast starts to talk about something very important to me. Black Lives Matter. I, Sarah Strumming, am committed to anti-racism and the companies that I oversee, the Cognitive Canine and Cogdog Radio, are also committed to anti-racism. I recognize my privilege here and I recognize that I have a platform where I can use my voice and I intend to do so in such a way that combats systemic racism because it absolutely affects the field of dog training and it's time that everybody with a platform uses it for good. I'm gonna link a list of resources for ways that you can support black, indigenous, and people of color and also just some educational resources that I've found helpful in my anti-racism journey. And I hope that we can all stand together to dismantle racism in dog training and therefore in the world. Cheers. Hey guys, I'm doing a new program that I'm calling Wednesday Night Chats. This is a Facebook Live that'll be happening every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific on my business page, which is on Facebook. It is facebook.com slash thecognitivecanine. I hope that you'll join me over there. We're going to be talking about basically all things what to do with dogs in a pandemic. How do we prepare our dogs for when our lives go back to normal? How do we socialize puppies right now? And if we can't get out to do a decompression walk, what are we supposed to do? So join me over there. It's a free program, but I am accepting donations for it. All the details will be included each week. So that's facebook.com slash the cognitive canine Wednesday nights at 5 p.m. See you there. All right. This week we are talking about upgrade dogs. And the reason we're talking about this is because it's this really common phenomenon that I see in my work that people have their first sport dog and their first sport dog is a lovely sport companion um, who's, you know, not the fastest, but, you know, maybe gets their mock or multiple mocks or even maybe goes to nationals or, you know, whatever your country's equivalent of these things might be. Um, And then for their for a person's second dog they maybe decide that they want to upgrade so they had a great time in agility they're feeling really good about dog sports and they want something faster they want a faster model they want they want more right because we if we like agility we're probably adrenaline junkies and we want more we want faster so that's fine it's all wonderful understand a few things understand what traits accompany the speed that you are after and decide if you're actually ready for the trade-offs that are going to be involved. Because when you get an upgrade dog, you are not buying your current dog with more speed. You're buying an entirely different thing. You're literally buying a different animal. And this animal is likely to have higher 
exercise and enrichment needs than you are currently used to. So if your dog is fine with, you know, you work five days a week and you take them to agility on the weekends, maybe agility class once during the week, and they don't get walked that often or they might get a leash walk around the neighborhood and your dog's perfectly fine, know that that's not what you're buying next if you're upgrading. You're buying something that's gonna need something from you every single day, more than once a day. So higher exercise and enrichment needs. They're also gonna require more consistent training. And I'm just gonna say it, you guys, they're gonna require better training because the dogs that are you know, faster twitch and higher quote unquote drive, which just basically means they care more about the reinforcers, they have bigger feelings overall, need you to be more clear than the dogs that don't care as much. So they need you to be very upfront and clear with all of your reinforcement. So they also on the same lines are gonna require better handling, meaning that if you are kind of consistently late in your front crosses and your old dog might drop a bar or might slow up in order to accommodate for those late front crosses, your upgrade dog may bite you or may fly off the handle spinning and barking or may, you know, go attack a tunnel or something, right? Or they might go attack another dog. I mean, they're just going to have bigger feelings about your late information. So they're going to require better, better training, better handling, and more from you on a daily basis. So think about that. And if you are getting um, a different breed, so maybe you've got, I'm just going to use a very common example in my world, which is maybe you had a golden retriever and you decided next to get a border collie. Understand that your border collie is not the same thing as your golden retriever. It is not a faster version of your golden retriever. It is an entirely different type of dog with entirely different needs, wants, desires, and an entirely different set of things that make that dog tick. This is true even if you went from maybe a sporty, fieldy type golden to a border collie. They're still very, very different. And it would be smart of you to learn about the breed that you're acquiring on a breed level, not just on a sport level. So rather than you know saying, I want this because I want it for sports, really decide if you want it the rest of the hours of the week because that's gonna be the majority of the time that you spend with this dog. And I just have a hint for you guys. Border Collies are wonderful. They are the breed that I choose to live with. They are also some of the strangest creatures on planet Earth. So that is important for you to know. And if you haven't been around them much, other than maybe your instructor's dogs at class, um, your, your fellow classmates' dogs at class, or the dogs at agility trials, if you've never been on a hike with one or hung out with one in a house for extended periods of time, you might want to try to. And that goes for any breed that you're talking about, not just Border Collies. Also, if you decide to just pivot within your breed, so let's go back to Goldens. There's very stark contrasts in type in this breed, right? So you can have um, a really nice, versatile, beautiful golden retriever that is your wonderful first-time sport companion dog, and then you decide to get a sport model. So somebody who's breeding these dogs for performance events rather than for the show ring or even for hunting, you're buying something different. So I would act as if 
you are buying a different breed and go get to know that line of dogs. So don't assume you're just buying a faster version of the other one that you have because the traits that come with that speed are varied and they are different and they are important. And it's really, really vital that you understand them and that you understand what you're buying. I've had, you know, several clients who had kind of one version of a breed and then they quote unquote upgraded to a different version of the breed. They're so surprised that they're struggling. They tell me I've had this breed for 20 years, 30 years, whatever. And I say, but you haven't. You have had a different type of this breed. They're very different. And so really think hard about um, what comes with that speed and what comes with that increased intensity and decide if it is the right dog for you after all. And the other things that I would do is change your, before you get this dog, change your current routine to be a little bit more dog centric and see if that's sustainable for you. So my dogs get, you know, at least three times a week, usually more like four or five times a week. They get an hour and a half to two hours off leash in the woods uh, walking with me. And then typically every other day, but every day when I can, they get training. And the training is not running agility courses. The training is brain work. The training is um, teaching them all kinds of new things because they won't just, they won't be satisfied with just running agility courses. They're smarter than that. So try out adding some dog time to your schedule. Just try doubling it. See how that feels. If that doesn't feel sustainable to you, you might want to think about getting a dog that's more similar to your first dog. Take it upon yourself to improve your training. Be a sponge. Do not assume you're an excellent dog trainer. I don't assume I'm an excellent dog trainer. I assume that I'm mediocre at best and I try my hard to be better and better and better every single day. And you want to really dig into continuing education, really dig into the online amazing courses that are available, go to conferences, really you guys take it upon yourself to improve your training skills. Go train another species, go to a chicken camp and learn how to train chickens, go, um, Go to the ranch if you can in Washington to learn how to train goats and donkeys. It is so important that you get nerdy and excited about training as an art and a science rather than just, you know, training for your sport, training dogs for your sport. It is important that you go kind of educate yourself on how much education actually exists out there that you don't have. And that's true for everybody listening there's still a world of information that you don't know, no matter how much you know, right? And it is the really, really advanced people that understand just how much they don't know. And then finally, work really, really hard on your agility handling. So think perfection rather than qualification. Think, how can I make this the tightest, most perfect run that I can, rather than how do I survive this and get that green ribbon? If you start to think about perfection, rather than qualification, um, you will have a better grasp on what I mean by upgrading your handling skills. Also, get a coach. Your weekly group class where you run courses, probably not good enough. Get an online coach um, or get an in-person coach who can really help you here to perfect your skills. And then lastly, get some honest opinions 
Um, get, you know, ask somebody that you trust to give you an honest opinion if they think you can handle whatever it is that you're going to buy. And if they don't think you can, ask them why not and, and genuinely try to improve in that area. It's a hard question to ask. It's a vulnerable question to ask. And I hope that you have somebody in your life that you can ask this question of who will answer you honestly, because I do think it's very, very important. I've known a lot of people to get upgrade dogs who shouldn't have, and I've known a lot of people who got upgrade dogs who it was the best thing they ever did. It isn't the rule that you shouldn't upgrade. The rule is you should objectively evaluate your life and your skill set before you buy that Lamborghini. Okay, I've got some Patreon questions for you guys. First one comes from Allie. It's a little bit long, but I think it's important that you hear it all. So here we go. When being the milk instead of water, and I'm just going to sidebar to explain that, um, I suggest to people often that they are a faucet and that their dog um, is, you know, waving their hands under you. This is a weird analogy. Um, but essentially that if you went to a faucet and you waved your hands underneath and milk came out instead of water, um, you might not hold any like ill feelings towards the faucet. The milk didn't hurt, the milk didn't scare you, but it wasn't what you wanted. So we can respond to our dog's unwanted behaviors by being milk instead of water, by essentially giving them something other than what they wanted, but responding to them anyway. So back to Allie's question. When being the milk instead of the water, how much time do you have between your dog's behavior and your response? Or do you have any other suggestions for milk to help with demand barking slash attention barking? in the yard. So I'm going to answer that before I read the rest of Allie's question. Your response needs to be immediate. If your response is delayed, um, you will have issues with the with the learning process because a million other things could have happened between the milk coming out of the faucet and not. So your response needs to be immediate. Back to the rest of the question. Trying hard to fix this barking um, and she just means her dog barking in the backyard by leashing the dog every time she barks. However, sometimes, and so that would be an example, you guys, of being milk instead of water. However, sometimes it can be up to 30 seconds before it can get to where she is. And because she's smart, she's starting to figure out the further spots in the yard to do this. I have tried timeouts instead of leashing, which allow me to send her to the laundry room from a distance, but that doesn't that does not seem to be fixing the issue. I'm resistant to using her recall here because I don't want to poison her amazing recall without a reward. She even snaps to me off a fence fight. Yes, Allie, do not poison your recall. Very smart. But if I give a cookie before leashing, she thinks the whole chain is a fun game and resumes the barking once unleashed. I have a cranky neighbor and <laughs> the time to work on this and be consistent working from home um, but getting outsmarted. Am I stuck with only allowing yard access for training play enrichment? Note, I never leave the dogs unattended completely in the yard. I just like to have my doors open when it's nice out and the old man dog likes to nap in the sun and I like fresh air. Uh, Allie goes on to say that she's pretty confident that she's meeting the enrichment and exercise needs of this dog and that she is mostly quiet in the house and well behaved. So, Allie, the problem that you're running into here is that when I say be the milk instead of the water, I mean that you are ahead of the game, okay? So you're ahead of the eight ball, meaning that the dog is starting to engage in these behaviors that seem to be attention-seeking um, or connection-seeking in nature. And you are aware of the fact that 
that's what this behavior is after. And so you provide milk, you provide something else. The problem is that you now have a strong reinforcement history, um, part of which has been built by you kind of hopping around on different things to try. So you've hopped around on different methods here um, and have also inadvertently reinforced a chain of bark, eat a cookie, bark, eat a cookie. And now, now you are no longer in the zone where simply providing milk instead of water is gonna fix your problem. You are now in behavior modification land. You now have an, a well-established, well-reinforced behavior problem that now requires a behavior modification plan. And a huge part of that modification plan is always going to be managing so that the behavior cannot happen in the meantime. So the two kind of cornerstones of a good behavior modification plan are going to be that you manage so that the dog is unaware, um, or I'm sorry, unable to do the behavior at all. And then you also provide the dog with something else to do and you provide ample positive reinforcement for doing that thing. So you are now there. You are no longer in a space where simply trying to provide milk instead of water is gonna work because whether it's due to inconsistency and kind of hopping around on methods or due to something else, that has failed you and you are now at a place where you have to actually modify this behavior if you don't want it or manage it so that it's not happening. So I hope that helps, Allie. Thanks for your question. Next one comes from Rendina. Why do you recommend rewarding recalls every time rather than putting them on intermittent reinforcement? I've heard many times that intermittent reinforcement strengthens behavior better than continuous reinforcement. Are there other behaviors you recommend be rewarded every time? So first question, why do I keep recalls on a continuous reinforcement schedule? Um, excellent, excellent question, Rendina. It is a kind of common misconception that if you want a behavior to be strong, you should reinforce it intermittently. And the reason that this misconception exists is because the truth is that an intermittent reinforcement schedule, so you guys, that just means that the behavior doesn't get paid every single time, is resistant to extinction. Okay, so it's not a stronger, better behavior. It's more resistant to extinction. What is extinction? It is the process that occurs when reinforcement stops happening. So when reinforcement stops being delivered. Um, so if you intended to not reinforce recalls, then you would have to put it on an intermittent reinforcement schedule. And here's the problem. Behaviors that have been intermittently reinforced are more resistant to extinction, but they are also more variable in nature. So you will get different behaviors and you will also get variable response, varied responses, right? So, and I don't want that. I want my recall to be the dog hears the word, stops, turns on a dime, and races back to me at full speed. That's what I want, and I want no variation. I do not want them to sniff sometimes on the way. I do not want them to pause before turning. I do not want them to blow past me when they get there. I want them to do it the exact same every single time. The way to keep a behavior strong like that, so strong in the face of kind of distractions or changing environments is to keep the reinforcement procedure the same and highly, highly reinforcing. So I pay it every single time because it's very important to me. 
On the flip side, and I talked about this in the recalls episode, I start out my recall training by reinforcing um, check-ins. So just reinforcing the dog for showing up. Check-ins are something that I put on a variable reinforcement schedule or an intermittent reinforcement schedule, meaning that I don't pay for them every time for the rest of the dog's life. And I still get check-ins but I get variation in the check-ins. I get variation in how often they do it. I get variation in how they do it. I get variation in what seems to be prompting it. And I don't want that for my recall. I want my recall to stay solid. And that's why it is on continuous reinforcement. And are there other behaviors I recommend rewarding every time? Hell yeah, anything that you need, anything that meets that criteria, anything that needs to stay the same, and strong over time in variable environments. And man, that could lead us down a rabbit hole of, but wait a minute, what about your competition behaviors, right? And I'm gonna argue that my competition behaviors are also on consistent schedules. I just change the, I change the process to, we go in the ring, we do the whole thing, and then you get your payout, rather than you get your payout for every single thing I ask you to do. Um, and I deliberately change that process. So. Really great question, Rendina. I appreciate it. And that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe in the podcast app of your choice. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, being a part of the CogDoc Radio community, and getting access to all kinds of extras, head over to patreon.com slash cogdogradio to become a patron. 